Hey, it's Peter here with my FSHD. Oh, Saturday, August 6th, and footy is back. That's right. Yep, there we go. Arsenal started the season. I can't remember the last time they started the season. Uh, top of the table, 2-0 over Crystal Palace at that cute little Selhurst Park. And 25,000 people. Man, it's like a high school stadium in the U.S. Anyway, good times. We're rolling. I say we end the season now. Um, <laughs> so, Actually, I didn't catch the uh, Liverpool score. They probably put 10 past Fulham. So we're probably second on, on goal differential. Anyway, so what do we got going on? Well, today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, well, I, you know, we, the reason I started doing Saturday. I mean, I thought one a week was a lot. And then I always say something on Wednesday that I'm like, man, okay, I better better fix that. So I started doing the Saturday. It was kind of like the cleanup or the fix it um, episode. <clears throat> and there's a little bit of that. Just want to make sure there's some clarity because, you know, I get emails. And I love getting emails from everybody. And even, and, um, it still, still amazes me that people listen and they appreciate it. I'm really glad people are learning something because, you know, we joke around a lot, but we are really, we're serious. I mean, serious business. We just, we have fun. Um, yeah, just like in lab, we have fun, but it's serious business. And uh, we want to make sure that um, we're educating people correctly and providing information. And so, uh, yeah, just need to, some clarification. So today I'm going to do some clarification on, uh, well, just I'm on a bit of, animal models and why we're using them and about the pig model because we talked a bit about that with ben and um yeah it just it just seems like maybe, maybe it's not entirely clear based on some of the facebook things i've been seeing so anyway we're gonna get to that in a sec all right so first though you know i got an interesting call this week uh a friend of mine called you know wanted to give me a heads up so uh how would i how would i say this it would be in today's uh, climate in the U.S. This it would say so. I so somebody told me that somebody told them that they had heard that I am ruining my reputation um, with this podcast, and that they are concerned for me, and I should uh, either stop the podcast or um, become much nicer to the foundations when I talk in the podcast. And uh, their concern is that, that my long-term career is going to be damaged by all of this. And so there's, you know, they're just, I've just, you know, just genuine concern and caring for me. They want to uh, pass this on. Of course, they're too, <laughs> too chicken shit to call me themselves. And anyway, so, yeah, I know they're out there listening. So don't worry, Dan passed it on to me. Um, and <laughs> I appreciate the concern, um, but it's, uh, it's interesting. I, was, I guess, I guess the, the gist of it is that, um, biotech and pharma companies, um, the word on the street, at least is that biotech and pharma companies no longer want to work with me because of this podcast. And, you know, I was thinking about that. And so it's interesting, you know, because you never know who's listening. I don't think anybody's listening. <laughs> but I keep hearing from you people. So first off, what's in, you know, and, and of course, I actually, I mean, it's all hearsay. I mean, this would, you know, this would be like the word of God in front of the January 6th committee. Um, but <laughs> now it's kind of scary that this is becoming the metric for evidence uh, in this country for anybody. Can you imagine being on trial and having, I, somebody told me that somebody told them that they saw or heard something, maybe. Um, and, uh, anyway, so, um, but that's where we are. And I guess, so I, I better tell I will take this very seriously. And, uh, you know, it's a, under, under real consideration because now, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as I was, um, filling out the, the CDAs and the MTAs for the three new biotech companies that have approached us in the past couple of weeks, um, to work with us, I thought, wow, you know, a certain level, thank God more of them don't want to work with us because we just ain't got the time. I mean, holy cow. Um, 
I don't really mean it that way. Actually, we're happy to work with all of them. You know, we we generate animal models. That's a little bit what we're going to be talking about today is our pig model and mini pig model. Just some clarification from uh, our, our discussion with Jenny and Ben and just some clarifications on the mouse models and the xenograph models. And, you know, we that's what we do. We create tools for the field and give them away to everybody. I got to thinking that's so if a biotech company out there is saying, let's see, these guys are creating the tools that we need for our putative FSHD therapeutic. And they um, are the experts on how to use them. They have a whole lot of unpublished inside information that they're willing to give to us for free and actually willing to even work with us just to move our product forward. But, well, you know what? He's a little snarky. So, uh, no, nah, we're not going to do it. We'll go find some other someone else to work with. Um, well, that sounds to me like a great uh, great screening process to get rid of the dumbass pharma companies, biotech companies. If that's how you make decisions, good luck curing anything. Jesus Christ. I mean, seriously? Um, <laughs> uh, it's like voting or not voting someone because uh, you don't like, because uh, they are <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> it's just, but it's amazing what people, it also tells you that, um, the concern is not because the patient community doesn't like me or is upset with me or that any of you all and people, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm responsive to the FSHD patient community. Screw anybody else. I mean, that's, that's who I care about. And, um, clearly <laughs> this advice is not coming from someone who cares about the FSHD patient community. Uh, so I think I'm going to keep the podcast going against, again, probably against my better judgment. I think we're going to keep it going. And, you know, I don't think I'm, honestly, I just never feel like I'm positive or negative or pe people always make comments and read stuff into it. You know, I just tell, in my opinion, you know, I, I tell you the facts is the facts, the science, you know, you don't get to pick your facts. This isn't politics. You don't get to pick your facts. Um, you don't get to just redefine things to make things look better either. I mean, this is just how it is. A cure is a cure. A therapy is a therapy. The data is the data. Work that didn't work. You don't redefine what worked. Um, what working is, I guess you can, you can try, <laughs> but, um, you know, you guys are pretty smart people. You know, I just go through the data, go through what's out there and, um, I can present the data and I can present my interpretation of the data, which is what I do. And I also present my opinions on things. And if, uh, if it's negative, it's because, well, the data points negative. And if my opinions appear negative, it's because that's been my experience. And, um, but I think I'm overly positive, frankly, you know, quite honestly, uh, so anyway, it's kind of an interesting sort of thing. I'm like, who could possibly be pissed at me? And I mean, you know, we have some great experiences out there. You know, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. I talk with, uh, we're going to get some more of our, our friends on here. People have suggested they really like uh, hearing from um, what different research is going on out there. And I have my opinions of who does good research and who who does not. And um, all I will say is I'm only bringing people on who I respect as researchers, just like I only bring on um, people that I respect, uh, well, pretty much in general, the only people we bring on here, um, doesn't mean if you're not on, doesn't mean anything negative necessarily. Cause you can't bring everybody on. I don't want there to be something negative by not association, but I can just tell you, I'm so, you know, I got Bob block lined up. He'll be coming. He had developed an FSHD genograph mouse model that I think is, uh, really important in the field. Um, and, uh, you know, we got it. I've had actually some researchers asked to be on, you know, and, um, and so, it's uh, it's interesting. I actually figured researchers would never listen. I mean, yeah, whatever, man. Do your own thing. But, uh, you know, this actually stems from the fact that people want to hear what's going on. And there's just, I, you know, just and this is where there's a bit of a disconnect is that, um, I mean, I know what's going on because I just live and breathe it every day. We're in the, every, you know, papers that before they're published, we review a lot of papers, we review a lot of grants, we see a lot of, we, after they're published, everything that comes out, we look through and sort through. You know, that, that's, that's the job. That, and actually, in our lab, that's the life. We go through everything and, and, and uh, we can dismiss what we think should be dismissed and we incorporate what should be incorporated and we evaluate everything. And we're doing that all the time. We just, you know, sometimes, since I've started the podcast, it's been shocking to me how little is out there publicly, actually, because, you know, I said, I'm just, we're just so kind of insulated in our bubble. And I said, like, okay, I'm only going to talk about data that's published. It's like, wow, a whole lot of this cool stuff ain't published. <laughs> but it's also not my position to reveal any of it, like, other than from my group. So I can, you know, I mean, I can tell you, you know, this our, our work, we're going to talk about the mini pigs that we're making. 
um, none of that's published. I'm the only one in the world knows about it. Well, yeah, me and you. And uh, uh, what's going on? And we're, we're keeping a lot of those details on confidential because we need to. And we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, but when it comes to other people's data, that's up to them. I can invite people on and they can talk about what they want to talk about. But, you know, it is actually, you know, it's important to keep uh, confidentiality. And um, it's also important to acknowledge conflict of interest in these things. For those of you um, <laughs> in the business that are listening, Yes, confidentiality and conflict of interest are important, um, in case you've forgotten. Uh, and we do keep all that in mind. So, you know, I appreciate that people have asked to hear more about what's going on. All I can do is ask people to uh, provide uh, any information they want to get public. And uh, I'm happy to, you know, to let them do that. It's just not my position other than data that's coming from our group. Fortunately, we got a lot of data come from our group. <laughs> it's just uh, and a lot of stuff. And actually, you can see a lot of stuff when you come. If you do come by the lab and visit, a number of people now have contacted us about swinging by on their summer trips or fall trips or whatever. Always happy to have people come by and, and talk about what's going on. Again, we still have things that we got to be careful about. I can't talk about our um, confidential collaborations. Can't talk about anyone else's data other than ours. Um, and uh, But, you know, there's a lot going on. I can give you a big, big picture idea of what's going on in the field. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So about the, you know, so we had, you know, you know, Ben is uh, just finished up his uh, first year uh, in the PhD program here at UNR and uh, is working on, uh, he's got a couple of projects going on. He asked what he should talk about. And I'm like, well, you know, it's fine to, <laughs> of, of the number of things that he's working on, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the mini pigs. And, you know, I just want to make sure that we're kind of clear on a couple of things. So more first and foremost about, you know, using animals in uh, research. And I know there's a lot of people that just think you just don't need to do it and there's no value to it. And I know there's some people protest like crazy and, you know, and it's always kind of interesting to me that um, often, you know, people are like, let me tell you, if you're, if you're completely uh, against uh, animal use in research, then you'd better be um, completely against uh, getting people vaccinated. Um, you know, you can't be out there saying, Go get vaccinated, by the way. Let's eliminate animals from research. Let me tell you, um, all these things were developed through um, knowledge gained through animal research and oftentimes even testing them. Um, in fact, actually, the vaccines came from originally passing um, viruses through uh, uh, actually uh, primate cells and culture uh, to attenuate, get an attenuated virus. So um, there's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can't have, you, you gotta, it's a, uh, uh, it's like my uh, my former brother-in-law who, you know, he condemned you for having Nestle chocolate because he thought Nestle's were involved in the Holocaust while he drove his uh, BMW because it was a classic BMW. <laughs> it's like there's the car of the Nazis, man. You know, we're driving Mercedes and Beamers. And it's like, you know, if you're going to go down that road of being um, all in or you better be all in or all out on, uh, on what you're protesting and what you're supporting. Okay. Uh, LeBron. Um, Mr. China. Uh, okay, don't tell me about human rights if you're gonna. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> if you're gonna be making millions, um, LeBron. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so Mr. Social Justice. So, you know, you gotta be, um, you want somebody good? Enos Cantor Freedom. Check that dude out. There's a dude who walks the walk, by the way. Um, and notably, the NBA hates him. Um, <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I'm going down that path. So uh, just frustrating because it, it does actually apply to animal research, right? I mean, I understand there's, there's you know, ways, um, I, I believe, when it comes to uh, at least the research we do and most biomedical researchers, um, the work we do is, is extremely ethical. Um, we actually don't want to. You only use animals for research when you, it's absolutely necessary. We use as few numbers as possible. Everything, single protocol and procedure that we do is evaluated ahead of time for do you need to do it? How are you going to do it? Relieving stress and pain on the animals. Um, and, you know, again, smallest numbers. Can this be can this be done in a non-animal system? Can you get this information? Is it absolutely necessary? And then it's monitored and the procedures to make sure everyone's following the rules. And these are both scientific committees and community committees. IACUC has... IACUC is Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee that every single institute that uses animals um, is part of. We have the Office of Animal Welfare um, in the federal government, the National Institutes of Health, 
and this is just highly, it's more regulated than freaking getting stem cells injected into you, you know, in this country or exosomes. I mean, it's just, I mean, it is highly regulated. And, and the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I would just, I'd be happy if we never had to use them. It's not like we want to, um, we, we use animals in research and, um, uh, because for the information that we, we believe that is the, gives us the best chance of getting something safe and efficacious to you to fix you. Okay. And, um, and we do everything we can in non-animal systems beforehand, uh, in, in order to do it. But at some point you, these things just have to get into, um, an, as small animals, whether it's mice, toxicology in rats and, and non-human primates. And, uh, um, and now large animal models. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, you got, I realize people are going to disagree. I think there's been maybe in the past, maybe in the cosmetic industry or something, maybe there have been some, um, some abuses. Uh, I, I don't really know. It just seems to be that's what, when you see signs going around, you see uh, people talking about sick and lipstick and rabbits and stuff. And um, But again, that's because you guys sue. If something bad happens, you guys, you know, everyone gets sued. So people look at safety and toxicology very carefully. Um, but we don't talk about those. In, those industries are not not our, our wheelhouse. So we're going to talk about FSHD. So or just uh, biomedical research in general. So what we you know, we need to, you know, so where, where do you get? So we talk about FSHD being old world primate specific. OK, what that means is that the ducks for gene uh, invaded the primate genome lineage is retro transmission track, retro transposition. Um, an invasion of the genome um, after primates and actually after the split between old world primates and new world primates. And those are the South American primates don't have a ducks for orthodog where um, it's uh, uh, the, the old world primates, which are your chimps and your, um, you know, orangutans and gorillas and you um, do have uh, ducks for. Now other animals have a ducks uh, ortholog, meaning something that functions similarly to ducks four. You know, this is a, a transcription factor that's important to be expressed in either the two or the four cell stage. If you're a mouse, it's in the two cell stage. If you're a human, it's the four cell stage, and it drives uh, zygotic transcription. Um, and so uh, most animals actually, it turns out, have something like a ducks family member, right? But it's not really ducks four. There's some unique things about ducks four that are really important for um we talk about therapeutics and understanding pathology that's downstream of ducks four. And so this is actually very unusual. <laughs> most of your genome is found in mice. Hell, most of it's found in flies and an awful lot of it's found in baker's yeast. You know, I mean, you can, I mean, you can just track a lot of these genes. Yeah, you get more complex, but, you know, 6,000 genes makes a baker's yeast. Well, like 18,000 makes a drosophila fruit fly and a human, what, 60,000? You know, 10 times more complex than a um, baker gene. Well, I shouldn't say it's more complex because actually we're talking about genes, but then you get into forms of genes and alternative splice. Anyway, we don't want to go down that path. Um, you are, you're, you're slightly more complex than, than that. But it also means there's no natural models out there. Okay. And what do we mean by that? Well, the dystrophin gene is the gene that is mutated in uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Okay. And so uh, the dystrophin gene is found in mice and dogs and you know, primates. It's actually found dystrophin is very highly conserved all the way back to uh, nematodes and such. You know, it's a very important, which is C. elegans, a very com it's a common, they used, uh, you know, 900 and what, 948, 50, and anyway, under less than, a uh, thousand cells and mostly elegance from Aphrodite, I think, have a thousand fifty or so. But any of these, these small, simple organisms still have dystrophin. It's very important in muscle um, biology, and it's actually present in non-muscle cells as well. And so this is highly conserved, meaning that you it has been found in many, many um, organisms. And so in a very similar structure of the gene and similar, similar ultimate protein structure with a similar function in all these organisms. And so what that means is that you can study dystrophin in these other systems very easily and translate what you learn uh, to, to human condition. Um, you can do dystrophin studies in zebrafish or in um, 
like I said, C. elegans, Drosophila, or mice, and uh, study. And so you learn a lot. You can't do that with FSHT. We just don't have the, the tools because they just, the Dux4 gene's just not present. The other thing that's really important, so that's just general biology of your kind of the mechanism that you're studying, the normal mechanism, and then the mechanism that is disrupted, the pathogenic mechanism of the pathway and the disease, right? You can have a Duchenne mouse or a Duchenne zebrafish um, where you can't have a, a, an FSHD, you know, sort, you know, you know, studying using the endogenous system. An FSHD mouse really can't, you know, you say we do have one. Well, we'll get to that in a sec. Okay, so... Um, what I'm talking about is natural models. Okay, so the MDX mouse is a mouse that is very commonly used in uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy research. This is a natural mutation that was found in a mouse line, um, I don't know, 50 years ago or so. Actually, God, I'm getting old. I'm getting, it's, it's maybe it's 70 years ago now. It's been, I can't remember. Well, anyway, it's found ages ago. And the mice, it's, you know, FSH, or sorry, Duchenne is an X-linked gene. So what it means is that if you're XY, which is, we're going to call it genetically male, um, and you have a mutation on the X chromosome in the dystrophin gene, um, if you're a person, you're DMD, right, Duchenne boy, um, male, genetic male. Um, if you're a mouse, same thing. So the MDX mouse has a mutation in the dystrophin gene. Um, if you're XX, genetically female, it would be a silent mutation mostly, most of the time. And, uh, and you wouldn't be noticed. But anyway, people found these mice that had this kind of phenotype and was able to determine this was caused by mutations in the dystrophin gene. And so this becomes a natural model. And no one created this. This is a natural genetic mutation that's just out there in the mouse world, mouse community, and gives you Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Because, of course, you know, these animals are going to get the same spontaneous mutations that, that people get. Okay. And it's just they're, they're selected against, right? <laughs> I mean, they, you know, a mouse that can't walk too well is going to have even more trouble than a, uh, a uh, healthy mouse when it comes, you know, everybody's trying to eat the mice, right? Um, and so then, and also survival of the fittest and breeding of the fittest is going to be a different thing. But, you know, in a, in a pet shop, they're able to find this out. Same thing for dogs. There's a Duchenne dog. There's a congenital muscular dystrophy dog. There are, are sarcoglycanopathy, I believe, I better look that one up. Um, anyway, some other other you know, like Rottweilers that have gotten, you know, because, you know, one, there's some inbreeding on these. <laughs> Obviously, you get dogs, all these dog breeds do a lot of inbreeding. And so recessive mutations come up. But again, natural mutations that come up. And so you're going to get these same human diseases in dogs and rats and mice and these things. And even even probably, you know, primates. Again, you're just not going to find them very easily because they're out in the wild. Um, but in pet shops or in breeders, they find them and notice them. And uh, so there's an interesting case of Rottweiler, for example, which was then used um, with uh, Alan Begg's group to at, at Harvard uh, Medical School to uh, as a tremendous tool to help um, learn and get treatments for for another neuromuscular disease. And so and these are natural models that just happen that are that are out there um, that are very valuable and useful. Okay, we're not creating anything. So you don't have any natural models for FSHD. You're not going to find just naturally an FSHD mouse walking around or not walking around or rolling around um, or dog or anything. Um, so, so we don't have that. So, so what are we going to do? Well, this is where we call make animals. We generate models. And again, we need to do this because we need to understand more about the pathogenic mechanisms that are going on in FSHD, but also develop tools so that we can test our therapies. Okay. Now, do you have to do this legally? You don't, do you have to, well, <laughs> I mean, at some point you, you have to at least go on cell culture, which often be human cell culture for FSHD. Do you have to go through a mouse or something? Well, you do have to do toxicology studies. Those are going to be different. Those don't have to be phenotypic. Those don't have to be FSHD uh, to do those studies, but your molecule does have to pass um, systemic tox um, uh, prior to a phase one clinical trial, and that's going to be a non-human primate. It's going to be in one in a rodent and a non-rodent uh, system. Um, but the reason we need we want to see in uh, in actual animal models of the disease is and it's not just is something safe. It doesn't work, right? Lesmapamide is wonderfully safe, evidently, right? I mean, ton, great great safety profile in uh, healthy or non-dystrophic non people, um, a lot, been a lot of people, you know, the question isn't, is it safe? The question is, does it work, right? 
Um, and, you know, at least at the time they were going through, there wasn't a, an appropriate model to use for that. So you go from cell culture. So you can, you can go from cell culture to, to people. And, we'll, and, you know, we'll see when this phase three comes out and sees what they have to say. But for thing, you know, but I think pharma, I think biotech companies and academic labs um, and definitely investors would feel more comfortable. You know, these clinical trials are incredibly expensive. They're expensive in, in cost, but they're also expensive in people. Meaning you are not just your time and your effort, but also I mean, you're taking biopsies and you're going through and doing this and you're putting in, you're putting yourself on the line for an experimental therapy. We just, you know, you sure want an awful lot, as much data as possible that says this has a, a really legitimate chance of, of working and giving you a beneficial impact on, on FSHD, right? And so, uh, yeah, you can just take repurposed drugs and pop them in. Um, I'd rather really go through something and really know. So that's where I think um, experimentally, uh, therapeutically, I guess we're going to learn a lot. And so since we don't have animal models in FSHD, or we didn't, you have to make them. So we make, there's two ways to do it. There's uh, making a transgenic animal. And what that means is inserting a gene, an, an exogenous gene, a, a gene that does not belong in the genome, the host organism, and inserting it uh, into that genome. And there can be two ways to do random integration, just randomly put it anywhere or targeted integration. And then beyond that, there can be uh, can be under endogenous control or it can be conditional, meaning that the investigator or you can control whether, how this gene is going to be regulated. So it can be under its native regulation, meaning it'll be on when it whenever that organism just naturally would want to turn it on. And that's kind of tough because if the gene doesn't belong in the organism, it's uh, how can it naturally turn it on? Um, uh, but you can also control that. You can have it naturally turned on by controlling the, the promoter or the regulatory elements that you put on. Or you can make it conditional when it will be turned on, essentially when you flip the switch. Okay, so those are the two ways. Or, and then there's also you can combine those. You flip the switch, but it's only going to be on in the cells that you told it to be on. So they kind of have a combined conditional endogenous regulation. So it gets kind of complicated. You can look at some of this on the MyFSHD website under the animal models and the transgenic mice and the pigs. It's up there online. You can look um, under the uh, tools, therapeutic um, and ther therapeutic section and uh, animal models, model organisms, I guess is what, the, what it's called. And we try to draw some of this out. You know, it's maybe easier to see it than it is to kind of hear it. But that's sort of a transgenic animal. And then the other one would be, um, well, I mean, in other fields, you have knockout animals where you actually remove a gene. But since the FSHD gene is not in any of these systems, we don't have any knockout animals. So we have transgenics inserting a gene, conditional transgenics where under investigator control. Um, but then we have xenograft models. And what a xenograft is, is where we take cells that are not from that organism and we engraft them into uh, into the organism, and they grow as if they're part of that organism. Okay, and we have human FSHD xenografts, where we've taken FSHD. There's two types: one where it's muscle that is then uh, surgically implanted into a mouse, and so you have an FSHD muscle growing in a mouse, or what we use, which is. Um, where you take cells, muscle cells, myoblasts, um, kind of undifferentiated uh, uh, muscle cells that were isolated from an FSHD patient and then grown in culture in the lab, and we inject those into a mouse, and uh, we can grow an FSHD mouse that develops um, in uh, in the, the whatever muscular compartment we put it in. And so either way, you end up with a... Uh, human FSHD cells containing the FSHD gene in its natural, just as it is in your, in you, in your muscle, in its natural con condition, growing in a mouse. And so you can test that. Okay, so those are xenograft models. Um, you do the same thing with pigs. Now, we're not doing xenografts, but with the mini pigs, um, or you can do it with dogs, or you can do it with you do it with anything, <laughs> you know, any animal you want. Now with CRISPR technology, you can you can make you can take uh, the FSHD gene, like the Dux4 gene, and insert it into the genome of any organism you want. So we have done this with um, with mice, 
and we've put it in. Actually, both both ways have been done. Uh, the Vandermeer Lab in Leiden uh, did the random integration approach, and they took the FSHD locus, meaning the D4Z4 repeats, isolated from an FSHD patient, plus some of the sequence on either side of it, and they uh, randomly inserted it into the mouse genome, and uh, now they have these mouse lines called Lambda 42, and um, the, they uh, contain uh, two and a half repeats of the D4Z4, and thus, and and that's it. And whatever kind of normal regulation that kind of went along with that, and it's just expressed when it's expressed. And they have a nice paper uh, that came out. Uh, what was that Plus Genetics 2000? Uh, boy, was it 2000? 12, 2014, um, Crom I'm pretty sure is what it was. I should, I should have my ducks in a row. Um, but, you know, they showed that uh, that maintains epigenetic regulation. Um, but, you know, it's not a great not ideal model. It's good for something, good, not good for some other thing. It doesn't really get muscular dystrophy, oddly enough, or dystrophic phenotype. Uh, but so that's the random insertion um, endogenous locus. And then our lab um, made the flex mice. Uh, where we put in the Dux4 gene under control of um, a special element that allows us to express that Dux4 gene uh, in pretty much uh, any tissue we want. Typically, we express it in skeletal muscle, and that does get uh, dystrophy. That's the flex mouse. Uh, the Kyber lab came up with the one similar around about the same time um, using tetracycline-inducible promoter, and then the Harper lab also came up. <laughs> so nobody had one, and then all of a sudden we got three of them. Um, and unbiasedly, ours is the best. Well, that's actually the most widely used, and there's reasons for that. But that's not where we're getting at. We're getting at, you know, I just want to make sure we're clear on transgenic animals versus xenograft and, and the models, okay? All right, but before we get too far down the road, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick the song in a little early. It's a very uh, apropos I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know exactly, <laughs> am I using that correctly? I'd have to check with uh, uh, Carice or Jenny to let me know if I'm using this correctly. It's an appropriate song for, for this conversation. And I'm not sure how many of y'all are familiar with it, but you got to check out a group called the Matterhorn Project. Um, Mid-1980s, uh, <laughs> some really great instrumental, pop music, um, and animal singing. Okay, not like Muppets and stuff like that, but like real animals. So I can decide between Moo or Animal Farm. I went with Animal Farm. See what you think.
kind of fun stuff man. i don't know it's kind of 80s were fun 80s were and you know at least for music music was fun you know and uh yeah it's good times anyway all right we'll get back to our, our our conversation and uh um we'll bring you some more jagger in one of these later uh podcasts okay so so that's transgenic right inserting a, a gene the ducks four gene in one context or another into a genome so we have the flex ducks four mice that we made you have uh, and then uh, the Harper Lab mice and the Kaiba mice. Um, again, the most, <laughs> getting back to our original thing, you know, pharma company or biotech companies, I got to get that right, biotech companies and pharma companies um, are uh, really happy with uh, our Flex Ducks 4 mice. They express Ducks 4 at extremely low levels um, in a mosaic pattern uh, similar to you, okay, in its skeletal muscle specific. And uh, very few cells express it, and you get a slow, progressive myopathy with immune cell infiltration and, and such. And uh, yeah, a mouse isn't a person, um, but there's a lot that we can learn from using these. And therapeutically, people are putting antisense or, um, for example, uh, or, or anything that targets Dex4 mRNA or Dex4 protein. These are really great models for seeing can you... Um, administer these systemically and get a beneficial effect and stop the production. Um, these are not good for things like Lesmalfamod or things like, in my mind, actually not even great for the CRISPR approach that we have. We made a great model and not even for our main therapeutic approach in our academic lab. Um, but there's other models coming. Um, actually, Lambda 42 model where you, you uh, have the endogenous regulation. That's really what you need. You need the endogenous human-like regulation of ducks for expression um, in order to test uh, therapeutics uh, that are targeting turning the ducks 4 gene on or off, you know, through, through natural pathways, small molecules that target natural pathways, such as lesmapamod targets the P38 pathway, um, which is um, putatively involved in ducks 4 regulation. So, um, you know, there really has not been a great animal model for that. Um, but again, it didn't stop them from going to clinic, right? They're able to show very great in cell culture. Um, um, they still had to go, you know, and there's a lot of um, human safety data that showed it was safe. Okay, so um, so what about uh, mini pigs? That's kind of what got me on this. I was thinking about that. I want to clarify. So um, one of the huge bottlenecks, I think, in the FSHD field or big voids was that there's no large animal model. I had mentioned that there's no natural models of FSHD. Well, you know, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, congenital muscular dystrophy, um, even some of the like sarcoglycanopathies. Um, these have natural um, models, which frankly tend to be dogs, okay? Large animal models that are dogs, whether it's golden retrievers, rottweilers, um, terriers, whatever. Um, and we mean by large animal, a mouse is a mouse is anywhere from, you know, a little young mouse, like 10 grams up to, you can have like a 50 gram, that's a big old mouse, but you know, they're mainly around 25 to 35 grams, okay, as a mouse. Um, you're, you're a lot bigger than that, <laughs> you know, as it's a... 
Um, so we want something that has statistically significantly larger. And this is important because, uh, well, one, mice can be just kind of funky in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, they you know, short generation time, you can make a lot of them. Um, and you can uh, test carefully, again, under great um, guidance and care of um, vet vets and animal commit use committees. Um, you can do a lot of interesting work in mice, um, but large, and you do that before you move to a large animal model. But the reason you want to go to a large animal model, something that is more like 100 pounds, maybe we'll say 50 to 100 pounds. You have intermediate things like rabbits, but uh, let's say dogs are going to be 50 to 100 pounds uh, is because things things change. OK, the the muscle structure is very different, much more human like in some of these systems. And systemic delivery, uh, you know, when you start thinking about, we covered some of this in the berberine talk and the melatonin talks and stuff, uh, you know, delivering the, the, the volume of a muscle, the mass and volume uh, is very different as you get bigger. And dosing becomes very different as you get bigger. And so you have to take these things into account. And whether this is a gene therapy viral dosing or a small molecule dosing or an antisense dosing, it's going to be different delivering the, to a small animal versus a large animal. And so in addition, uh, the large animal can uh, is applicable for other more uh, other technologies such as uh, muscle regeneration and replacement. Now, people do these studies in mice. Uh, they they do them because, well, I mean, <laughs> they're available. But again, mice are highly regenerative. They're just very different in a lot of ways. And they have natural models that they're able to do it in. So, but again, in, in FSHD, we don't have these natural models. Studying muscle replacement in an FSHD, like transgenic mouse, I mean, you've already made, you know, you're artificial on top of artificial, um, meaning that the mouse is just has some some quirks that I believe make it not the best system for studying uh, humanly translatable um, muscle regeneration. So what are you going to do? Well, we need a large animal model. We talked about it for years. Um, nobody would do it. I remember even back in 2014, I was at U.S. Medical School working um, with this uh, really fantastic guy, Miguel Estevez. And, um, you know, we were going to make, uh, we talked about making uh, FSHD primates, actually, um, uh, going to uh, Caribbean or something, doing that. And we just decided there was just, we just didn't want to do it, you know. But that's, you know, that's how long we've been thinking about it now, for eight, eight plus years, uh, thinking about how making it, because you just you need it for the gene therapy approaches for FSHD. Um, and so, well, we ultimately, um, well, frankly, as our gene therapy program for CRISPR inhibition in my academic lab progressed, we just kind of got sick of it. And just like, you know, no one's going to do it. The field's not going to do it. The foundation sure as hell aren't going to do it. Oh, it's too expensive. Oh, it takes too long. You know, so we just did it. And um, now the way you're going to have to do it in FSHD is just like with the mouse, you're going to have to do a transgenic. Um, animal, right? There's no natural gene to do that, to, to mutate. And so since you're going to have to do that, and you can use CRISPR now to do this, so it's actually much more efficient. You can essentially have your pick of any animal that's out there. Okay. Um, so what are you going to do? Well, maybe the most human-like or the most, uh, you know, again, you're putting a human gene into another animal. Um, you know, what do you know? It's, how's it going to react? Turns out that putting the human Dux4 gene into mouse cells yeah, you got a lot of pathology. Yeah, you get a lot of things that are similar to FSHD, but there's a lot of things that are not. <laughs> you get a lot of, in fact, the genes that are activated are very unsimilar, dissimilar, very different. Um, uh, so I, we can debate about that. Some people think it's a great model. I think I think it's actually not a very good model for looking downstream of X4. Um, but that's not going to be the case for every organism. So we looked around, we looked at all the benefits, and we decided since we have to make one from scratch, we're going to do, we chose to do pigs. Okay. And we said, we're sure as hell not going to do dogs. Okay. And uh, I just don't want, you know, so we're going to choose pigs. And pigs are widely used for other aspects of um, biomedical research because they have very human-like musculature, human-like uh, circulatory systems. The immune system in pigs is very human-like. And we did some work on uh, some ducts for expression in pig cells that will be coming out, um, collaboration will be coming out at some point, that says it's actually much more human-like uh, gene expression response to Dux4 than uh, 
than um, than mouse. And so we thought this is a good system. Um, let's just go ahead and make pigs. Now we made a special kind of pig, the Gertigen pigs, um, which are uh, true mini pigs. And it's funny you get a mini pig. You can find out mini pig can be like six hundred pounds. <laughs> you know, and you have to. It's going to cost more than a couple of teenagers to to rear. Um, but Gertigen mini pigs are true mini pigs. They max out at about seventy pounds. Um, so it's a lap pig. And the genome is patented um, by Eligard in Denmark, I believe. And uh, so uh, uh, we were able to uh, get the exclusive license to put the Ducks 4 gene uh, into uh, the Gertigen mini pigs. And also to work on the SMCHD1 gene so we can make FSHD2 mini pigs. And we decided to go ahead and uh, make a large animal model. Um, and so we're in the process of doing it. They're not done yet. They're not ready for prime time. But I'm really, you know, probably not even supposed to be talking about it. I don't know. I'll get in trouble. But it's my my project. So <laughs> and we're in charge of them. We're the ones who decided to do it. Um, and then went out and rounded up the funding and got it done, despite the, the pushback from, from some. Um, because uh, I think it's key to getting... Um, efficacious and safe therapies to clinic. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, myotonic dystrophy. Now, myotonic dystrophy, I remember the work done by Charles Thornton at the University of Rochester Medical Center, who I consider to be one of this, the uh, outstanding neuromuscular disease um, expert, um, amazing scientist. Uh, and I remember seeing his presentation, I think it was 2014, at the World Muscle Society out in Monterey, and they were doing antisense to cure myotonic dystrophy. And it was the most spectacular data I'd ever seen. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I normally don't talk to people. I'm very shy at meetings. I don't talk to people. Most people don't know who I am um, anyway. But, you know, I don't want to be a, I, I don't know. I just normally steer clear. But I had to grab Charles. I just went up, introduced myself, and just told him that was the most, you know, that was the most amazing talk I'd ever seen. I mean, it's just, they just very systematically, um, developed antisense technology to cure myotonic dystrophy. And they had cells and they had mouse models and it was just amazing. Just worked really well and just as good a preclinical data as you could ever hope for. And the clinical trial failed completely. It absolutely failed. His data was so good that people in the field stopped working on myotonic dystrophy therapeutic development because it was done. The problem was solved. How could this possibly not work in clinic. How could this fail? It did fail. Okay. And it failed. And I heard um <laughs> and I, what and I heard firsthand that the hypothesis on that it failed uh was due to lack of a large animal model of myotonic dystrophy. Again, something else that is human specific. Um my overall primate specific expansion. The ZMPK gene is not human-specific, but really the mutation is something you would have to create and put into an animal um, for this type of, um, I don't think there's natural myotonic animals out there, but they, had, they did not have a large animal model. And the feeling was that they were very, that the delivery, uh, and that a safe delivery uh, was um, what worked in mice just didn't work in humans. They weren't able to target enough of the molecule into the human cells um, in a person. And, and he mentioned, actually recently, within the past year, I saw him give a talk um, because he did mention after, when I presented at a meeting, uh, the mini pigs, the mini pigs, he mentioned that he felt that the myotonic trials failed because they didn't have a large animal model. I'm willing to bet they're making one now. I don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I have no idea, no inside information, but I'd be um, willing to bet that there's one's coming. Um, because of the dosing and toxicology and efficacy information that you get that is different and more relevant to the human condition, testing these things out in the pig will save immense time and money later. And so you don't have a failed clinical, and so you don't lose the time in that case of uh, of uh, fields um, kind of slowing down when they think the problem is solved, right? It's, it's standing on the carrier with mission accomplished behind you when the bombs are still going off, man. I mean, you just can't do it. The mission's accomplished when the mission's actually accomplished, okay? And I know people get excited, and and, a lot of, and we do want people to be excited, but that's why we're not cheerleaders. That's why we just tell you how things are, okay? So uh, 
yeah, you know, it would be great if you could just take cell culture data from FSHD human cells grown in the lab, see that something works and say, now we've cured it and go to the people. And, you know, you have your big breakthrough post on, on Facebook and then uh, go to trial and have it work. If that was the case, FSHD would have been cured years ago. It's hard and you need the right tools to do it. And some of those tools are are uh, animals. In this case, it's going to be mini pigs that we're making. And, you know, they are treated um, as humanely and ethically as possible. They are, uh, they, we use this, we're going to use as few as possible. And, uh, and quite, <laughs> I wish we didn't have to, but I believe when you weigh the benefit of it versus the, the risk of having uh, delays in therapies coming to market or having failed clinical trials, or maybe just things, maybe, maybe things that don't go to trial that would work, right? Because we don't have proper testing system. We just can't, we just can't take that chance. Curing FSHD, in my opinion, is far more important. And so we're going to do it. So we're doing it. And uh, uh, so these are in development. Initial results suggest uh, that, uh, that we, that you can develop an FSHD-like phenotype in, in these pigs. Uh, you know, but you know, it's not, again, none of this is published, none of it's out, it's just between us. Uh, so don't, don't, you know, <laughs> but the reason I'm actually talking about it, and I do talk about it somewhat publicly more than I probably typically, typically researchers would never talk about any of this at all. They would hold onto it tight. And, and quite honestly, that was the original deal that, um, the place making them made with me was that I'd have exclusive access to the pigs and rights. And I could, I could, I could lock it down for a number of years. Um, and have and that way it would benefit just me and uh, I could have a real leg up on the competition. This is the kind of thing that most academic researchers just salivate at. You know, they just kind of, yeah, just, wow. And if you had exclusive access to a, a unique animal model that gave you a huge leg up, boy, think of all the pharma companies you could work with, all the money you could make, all the all the grants you could get. Wouldn't this be fantastic? Oh, my God, people would just be passing out in ecstasy in the corner, you know, with this kind of opportunity. Um, but we're idiots. And so, uh, and <laughs> I have other, <laughs> have other pleasures in life, I guess we'll just say. And, uh, so, uh, sticking it to the field is not one of them. And, uh, so we're, we're actually, I waived that. I waived my exclusive period in order to get them made cheaper. Um, and said, as soon as they're characterized, we're going to get them out to everybody. Cause you know what? Maybe our original friend that's looking out for me is correct. Maybe pharma companies don't want to work with me. They shouldn't have to work with biotech. Shouldn't have to work with me. They should be, you know, proprietary technology, proprietary stuff. They should be able to do it all on their own without any interference from anybody. Academic labs, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of them out there that probably, <laughs> I know there's some that hate us and uh, we hate them, rightfully so. But most of them actually we get along with, but they shouldn't have to work with me, right? We're all kind of like frenemies, a lot of us. Yeah, we help each other out to a point because we're also competing with each other for grant money, um, for for industry contracts. You know, it's competitive, but you know, there's people you help. We don't get in the way of anybody. I can't say that about everybody <laughs> in return. Um, but but we're, we're going, you know, we're trying to move the field forward because we're responsive to the patient community. And quite honestly, these mini pigs, very expensive project paid completely by patient uh, uh, family donations. So how the, there's no way in hell we're going to hold these things back. So, you know, as soon as they're characterized, and, and again, it's turning out to be, eh, it's not the easiest project in the world, I got to tell you. And we spend enough, uh, it's just a, it is a Herculean task right now that's being taken on completely by Takako in, in our lab. Um, and with some help, um, we're collaborating, we're starting to collaborate with some good friends that we trust that are, have the same mind, because there are some other labs out there, truly really are a lot of good labs out there, but we're working with some groups similarly minded. And we're going to get these things proper characterized. And we're going to have the best large animal tool um, in neuromuscular disease research. Uh, and so that we can get uh, safe and efficacious therapies in the clinic and to help you. And this is what we're doing. And again, we're going to use as few animals as possible, treat them as well as possible. And um, and that's what we're going to do. And as soon as we don't need to use them, we're, we're allowed. Well, I guess maybe we'll have a... <laughs> or just, well, we make them through cloning, so it's not like you're going to have a whole bunch of these sitting around. So they're made through uh, somatic cell nuclear transfer and cloning, and that's how the pigs are made. So um, again, we just only make them kind of on demand. So you're not, it's not like you have a a whole, a whole bunch of these uh, these guys that are going to be be sitting around. Anyway, so yeah, you know, so so what's the other aspect of this? Well, now we're going to get to um, what Ben was talking about, which is muscle replacement. You know. Everybody's focused on 
shutting down Ducks 4 one way or another. And God, there's a dozen ways to do it, at least in the lab. Let's hope a few of them work in, in people. Um, it doesn't matter what you uh, what mechanism you use to shut down Ducks 4. A lot of you, well, you, you just either have no muscle, it's completely gone, or it's just fat replaced or fibrotic, in which case it's also kind of completely gone. You just may not know it. We'd see it by MRI. Um, and so the question is, are we going to get your strength back? Well, right now the plan is shut down Ducks 4 and hope you get strength back. Well, you're not going to get worse. And again, as you're getting worse, a lot of people, you know, it's kind of an interesting sort of thing. There's this kind of this curve on what you'll accept as a, as a patient. <laughs> as long as you're still walking, not getting worse sounds pretty good. And so once you're in a wheelchair, not getting worse, well, it's, yeah, okay, your life hasn't changed a whole lot. But you still could get worse. You don't want to get worse. But, but can you regain muscle mass and strength? That's really, and so how are you going to test that again? Well, this this is this is complicated because a lot of the technology that's out there for improving muscle health, um, and improving muscle mass and strength, you know, is done in essentially a healthy system, a healthy environment, or in just not not an FSHD environment. None of it's done in an FSHD environment. And I think an FSHD environment is somewhat unique because FSHD is a dominant gain of function disease where you're expressing ducts for. And muscle cells fuse, and so if you take healthy cells and fuse them to FSHD cells, the toxic function of the muscle takes over the healthy function, right? Toxic wins. Whereas in all these other muscular dystrophies that are caused by mutations in, in structural proteins such as dystrophin, when you take healthy and, and disease and mix them together, the healthy actually dominates and takes over. Okay, the dystrophin can spread, and you can actually recover um, so healthy plus disease in other neuromuscular diseases often, not always, but often results in healthy, whereas in FSHD, you, you actually maintain FSHD. The other aspect of it is that the, the, you have a very unhealthy environment. Um, a lot of technology that's out there for muscle replacement is actually truly in healthy people. They're just like lost muscle, volumetric muscle loss is a huge um, area of research. These would be whether it's military and things going on, uh, you know, losing chunks of muscle or just, you know, <laughs> or, or um, just things that happen, car accidents, um, skiing accidents, whatever, you know, people are just <laughs> machine accidents, work accidents, you know, volumetric muscle loss actually is a major, major problem. Um, but those are fundamentally healthy muscle that um, is gone. And so now replacing muscle in a healthy background is very different. Now, once you cure FSH, I mean, once you knock down ducts 4 and stop ducts 4 expression, you say, oh, isn't that the same thing? And the answer is no, it's not the same thing. Because the environment, even though you're no longer expressing ducts 4, you're all, you're not, you don't have a healthy environment. So you're going to be, you know, it's still, you know, you're going to have fat and fibrosis, you know, activated immune response, and it's really just not clear what's going to happen. And so our idea was, well, again, we have these these mini pigs. Now, again, a mouse, you know, it's a tiny little thing, and you're replacing. You can actually 3D print a muscle that you can put into a mouse, you know, a mouse uh, EDL muscle or something, you know, and you can say, hey, look, I've done 3D printed a muscle, and it works. Yeah, but, you know, not going to scale it up to a person. It's just not going to work. You don't have the innervation. You don't have the vascularization. You just, you know, you can print it, but it's going to be a dead piece of steak, right? And so what we're going to do. So how, how can you figure this out? Well, this is actually, you know, as Ben, and this was the question that Ben came to me with. He's like, I want to get my muscle back. Yeah. I don't want to get worse, but I also want to get better. Right. And so, um, the system to do that without the mini pigs is ideal. And this is kind of what I wanted to get at is to say, you know, you can actually create an FSHD like environment in a large animal model and then come back and say, okay, what is stem? What is injecting? Putting stem cells in? Do what is some three D printed? What is some matrix? Do what is a? There's just a ton of technology out there that uh, has never been tested in FSH. You can't just go around sticking this into people. Well, you can. You can go to China and get stem cells just stuck into you. You can go to Mexico. You can go to the Caribbean. Well, there's a number of places you can get get all sorts of things jammed into you. Um, and you know what? None of them cure you, and none of them actually fundamentally work. At least, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> in pro you know, we can do a properly controlled experiment and see, and uh, that may or may not be coming. I'm not, it's not entirely clear whether, whether that's coming or not. Um, 
there's rumors around about whether or not we might have a, a stem cell proper clinical trial in the U.S. But, you know, conceptually, at least as my understanding of the physiology, is that uh, I, I find it hard to imagine um, putting healthy cells into an, a dystrophic, FSHD-like dystrophic uh, environment and seeing it regain muscles mass. Okay. You just, but I think that you can, I think there's ways to fix it. And so this provides a system and a tool to manipulate the cellular and the, the aberrant pathological environment in diseased muscle uh, to regain muscle mass and strength. Now, do I know how to do it? I, I got no idea how to do it. I got some ideas. We have some ideas, and a lot of people out there, I think, have some ideas. And this was a big thing that uh, Chip wanted to um, push with his solve FSHD. Um, and some people think this is just stupid as hell and never going to work. Well, maybe, maybe, but at least we're going to have a tool to try, okay? Because um, at least right now, for this gen current generation, current generation um, needs muscle replacement, wants to regain strength. Um, shutting down Dux4 will always be good. Uh, the next generation hopefully will detect, use our diagnostic, the MyFSHD epigenetic diagnostic to screen lots of people and we'll find everybody that's FSHD before they get symptoms. And hopefully we'll be able to get them on whatever therapies are going to become available so that they never experience the muscle loss, in which case then we're not going to need this. So there's kind of this window of where you're going to need some stem cell replacement, muscle, um, muscle boost, you know, boosting of muscle regeneration, um, that maybe we won't need in, in a number of years. Um, but, uh, but for now we need it. And so this is a great uh, tool, I believe. Well, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I believe it will be the appropriate tool to test this technology so that we can say, we've stopped ducks for, you're not going to get worse. Now here's the next treatment. This is going to get you better. Okay. Cause that's actually, to me, that's the bar that we're setting. That is the bar that we're setting. At least me, I will put my name on that and say that is what I consider to be the cure is that you get better, okay? Therapy, you don't get any worse. Cure, you actually get better. Um, is that a high bar? Yeah, um, and I don't care. That, that's, that's where the bar should be. Sorry, that's my opinion. That's where the bar should be. That's when the job, that's, <laughs> you know, and, and even then the job's not done. The job is done when, that, when everybody, FSHDers everywhere in the world have access to all of that. Okay. That's okay. To me, that's, that's the, that's the task. That's what we got to do. Stop the destruction, get back the strength and accessible to everybody. Um, and then we're going to find everybody and that's just how you go. So people say, yeah, you're going to run out of things. To, what, really? Am I going to run out of things to do? Really? We get, you know, the sooner we get the stop the destruction, the sooner we get on this next step. Well, actually, we're already working on the next step and get this out to everybody. Actually, that's what I look at. That's my, my dream retirement is um, actually, the retirement that's in my head is to go around the world making damn sure that all my friends uh, everywhere out there, whether you're in New Zealand or South Africa or, or in Poland or Brazil, Argentina, uh, Chile, all my friends. I got I got 63 countries, and that's only because I haven't found the other 200 yet. I'm, in, I'm sure there's FSHD everywhere. Um, I My dream retirement is to make sure that, uh, uh, well, to go visit all of you all that have invited me. <laughs> Watch out. Be careful when you invite me. Um, but to bring the therapies to your to to you guys and make sure that's accessible to everybody. You know, that actually wouldn't that be great? Um, and I don't care where the therapies come from, it doesn't have to come from my academic lab, but and if therapy's anywhere, I just to make you know, to that's the next that's the next um the next step is uh accessibility of these to everybody. Um and go fishing while I'm there. <laughs> so it's a... Uh, um, anyway, that's, that's the plan. We're kind of total nerds, but, uh, so that's the idea. So, you know, the animals, I, I believe that the animal modeling that we're doing is absolutely necessary, uh, for, uh, therapeutic development and also for, um, ultimately helping to get strength back. And, you know, they are treated as ethically and humanely as, as possible. And under this, under the best care, best, um, housing, diet, everything, um, and we use as few numbers as possible and, and as we can. And so I know that's still gonna, still not going to be good enough for some of y'all, but, well, that's the breaks. It, this is what we need. We need to do it, and, and we're going to do it. Um, and in the end, uh, nope, this is how I think we get to a, a, a true therapy and a cure. All right.
All right, man. So uh, speaking of which, actually, <laughs> we're going to go in and do some uh, go into the lab Saturday morning. But, uh, oh, you know, I did actually check the score while I was doing this. And, and guys, really, Liverpool and Fulham tied 2-2. Drew, what a man. Already two points behind. Oh, I can't believe Spurs are ahead of us. Anyway, uh, I think the Chelsea game's going on right now. I haven't checked in on that one yet. Anyway, and sorry about Frankfurt. Yow. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Bayern didn't need Lewandowski. Anyway, we're going to head into the lab, and what we're going to be doing, I got, I got a bunch of reports. I'm finishing up a, a whole tranche of reports right now, um, and Takako is going to be uh, characterizing uh, some uh, muscle histology uh, biopsies from our pig models to see what we got. So far, looking pretty good. Um, and the uh, sooner we have this done, the sooner we can get this out and work with uh, those uh uh, biomedical and pharmaceutical companies that are not put off by my snarky podcast, um, <laughs> which I think are going to be the good ones. And the other bozos, well, there's, I could recommend some bozo researchers you can work with too. We know who they are and where they are. All right, man. Appreciate it. Uh, Jenny, coming next weekend. I uh, can't wait to see you. Kiddo Jenny in Portland. Um, uh, yeah, we'll get that all sorted out. She'll be on uh, next Saturday. So, uh, I'm looking forward. Yeah, I look forward. I haven't seen haven't seen my kiddo in about eight months, so uh, looking forward to it. All right, hope you all have a good weekend, and um, catch you later.